The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. We're very excited to be here with you this morning. We're having some technical issues all across the board, so we're just going to put that out there right at the start. I'm going to start with an apology to Ryan Atkins, who is one of our guests on the show today, but it says Ryan Watkins on the thing. Mistakes happen. Uh, our apologies to Ryan, but Ryan is a fabulous filmmaker. Atkins. Atkins is his name. Uh, they're going to be joining us a little bit later on, Jennifer A. Goodman and Ryan Atkins from Lakefront Pictures, to talk about their film, which is going to be out later this year, The Unseen, starring R.J. Mitty. You guys know R.J. from Breaking Bad. He played the son on Breaking Bad. Brilliant, brilliant actor. He's amazing in this film, and we're going to be talking with them a little bit later about co-founding Lakefront Pictures about this film and about the fact that Jennifer identifies as being neurodiverse and what that's like for her being a filmmaker and for Ryan what it's like having your business partner be somebody who's on the autism spectrum. So they're amazing, young, talented filmmakers. So good morning, our journey, Cameron's New Life. So thrilled to have you with us. I'm all excited this morning because, you know, it's Oscar week, and that's uh, really thrilling. And later on today, we're going to be pre-taping our now second annual uh, Oscar show. So I'm really excited about and pumped up about that, ready to get dressed up for that. Uh, but today, we're going to be here. We're going to be talking about uh, filmmaking, goes right along with it, and about what it's like when you are neurodiverse or differently abled and what, what it's like being in the entertainment industry. Because as you may know, if you watch Breaking Bad, R.J. Mitty is an actor who identifies as having cerebral palsy and a uh, talented, brilliant actor. And, and that's a part of his journey as he finds acting work. So uh, a fascinating, fascinating thing. Maybe sometime we'll have to have him on as well. But uh, we've got other things we're going to start with, perspective taking, and we are, I will say this, that we pre-taped this interview with Lakefront Pictures, so we will cut to that, but then we'll be back and we'll have plenty of time to answer questions. Hello, Michael. So thrilled that you're here from Philadelphia. Uh, and so we will have time for questions later if anybody has questions. We are live right now. Today is Wednesday, March 8th. I had to think, had to look, had to cheat. Uh, so, and as I said, we're thrilled to be here with you guys. Traven's going to start to show you that the show is live on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other places when we do the live. And we love that live interaction. You guys can be writing in on whatever platform you happen to be watching on live. We also podcast. And so the, everything that we do is available later on wherever you get your podcasts for free. I, I like to give that designation because there are a couple of podcast places where you have to subscribe. We aren't there because one of our one, one of our championing rally cries here is that we try to make what we do free for the viewer because we want you guys to get information and we want you to 
feel like you have a place that you can come to without expectation, that you can be here with us and you don't, there's nothing that you have to bring. Now, do we like it when you bring yourself and, and bring questions? For sure. Do we like it when you like us and you review us and you share us? Yes, absolutely. Uh, but we don't want you to have to bring a monetary uh, thing here because not everybody is in a place to do that in this very moment, right? But you will see that we are starting to do much more sponsorship and advertising here as a result because we don't want to transfer that cost to you guys. So please support us in any way that you can so that we can get more sponsors and, and please, you know, live through the sponsorship moments and, and even check them out to see if they, if it's a product that you might like when it's directly in the program, it's curated that we try to only have stuff here that we would like to bring to you. Yeah. When it's online, I don't really have control over that. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. You guys watch other videos, you, you know, the deal. Um, but we just wanted to be transparent with you that that is in fact where we are. Hey, I'm also reminding you that we are just a few weeks away. Ooh, it's heating up over here. Uh, because we're going to do the first annual, I don't know if it's going to be an annual thing, but the first annual, uh, autism network podcastathon on April 4th at 3 PM Pacific time, we are going to go live and we are going to attempt to stay live for 44 straight hours nonstop. Now, how do you do that when you are a network that has what five, six podcasts that we do here? because we really can't stay live for 44 hours by ourselves. But we've gone to the autism community and reached out to several other top podcasters and said, hey, we've seen your content. We think what you're doing is really remarkable. Would you like to do a takeover of our feed during this podcastathon and do your own show on our feed? And boy, the response has been resounding. We've got so many great top podcasters. Uh, Turn Autism Around with Dr. Mary Barbera, The Autism Helper. Oh my gosh, they, they do a great show. Uh, the two, Just Two Dads, The Autism Dadvocate, The Driven Autism Dads. We got the dad thing covered, you know what I'm saying? But we also have uh, a 25-year look across the spectrum, which is a BCBA and a mom. And then for those of you who are like, well, where are the folks on the spectrum? Shannon, like, you know, you always talk about the, you know, they're the beating heart. Well, we have programs that are just going to be the voices of those on the spectrum where they will be hosting. I can reveal to you today, some of it is surprises, but I can reveal to you today that Amy Gravino will be uh, doing that for two of the hours. And one of those hours, she's going to be talking about her journey. She is an advocate and an activist who speaks out a lot about sex and sexual issues. Amazing. She's hilarious and funny and insightful. What a great speaker. And then the second hour that she will be here with us, I think she's going to be with us both mornings at 7 a.m. if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the second hour, her special guest that she'll be interviewing will be Peter Gerhardt. So like, you guys, it, it can't get better than that. We're also going to have Dr. Temple Grandin. Holly Robinson-Pete is going to be with us. Uh, Joe Montaigne, Kobe Bird. Look, it just, it's, it's going to be uh, a 44-hour tour of extravaganza 
of uh, information and inspiration. So we're really excited about it. That's all free to you, but we are uh, getting sponsors right now. If you know somebody who'd like to sponsor one of these hours, we would absolutely love to hear from you or them. Wonderful. Okay. Um, what else do I want to talk about? You know, we have lots of experts here on the show, but I'm not one of them. My role here, I identify as a proud pony, a parent of a neurodiverse individual. I'm very excited to identify that way. And those are the words that my son has told me that he is comfortable with. Just want to get that out there. My son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half, and he is almost 20 now and in college and uh, has much to say to me about what I, what I can and should say, and, and I try to sit and learn whenever I can. It's not, not necessarily always easy for me, and I'm not saying that I don't ever mess it up. There are times when I get it wrong, but I care about getting it right. Yeah, um, that's the thing, and I care about being someone. It's funny, because it was Amy Gravino at the most recent conference I went to, the ABAI Autism Conference. She was up on the stage, and the question was being asked about, you know, what makes a good ally? Because we want to be good allies to our loved ones that are on the spectrum. I think that that's a running theme for a lot of us, right? We, we want to support them. I don't know a single person who loves a person on the spectrum who doesn't wake up in the morning and think, how can I best support that person? Not how can I make things difficult for them? That is not how we think of things. And we don't always know the answer to these questions, by the way, which is part of the reason why we have all the guests that we have on these shows. Um, but uh, so asking Amy, an individual on the spectrum who identifies that way, what makes a good ally? And she said, I got to be honest with you. I don't, you know, allies are great, but what we really need are accomplices. We need accomplices because an ally goes, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But Amy said, what we need are people who will wake up in the jail cell next to us after the protest. And, and I, that I, so I want to be that. I, I, I want to be an accomplice. There we go. Uh, but we don't always know, and so we must ask and we must learn, and that's what I try to do every day is learn, and I try to bring here what I learn along the way. Okay, but one of the things that we do on Wednesday is that we like to start with jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani, are those experts talking about? What does this term have to do with me? Why should I care about this? How could this be life-changing? Well, today's term is one that I don't think I ever heard until my son was diagnosed with autism. It wasn't that the concept of it had never, because I think we talk about the concept of this every day, but I'd never really heard it in these terms. Now I think it's a little bit more commonplace, but I think it's almost, well, let's get into it. First, we give you the actual definition. Often I make fun of that actual definition if it's filled with more jargon. Then we move on to the working definition and we try to give you an example that will help you to see why this might be an important term to you. So today's term is perspective taking. We talk about this all the time on the show because it's a really important concept uh, for a bunch of different reasons. So let's take a look at what the actual definition for perspective taking in is. I don't think, as I recall, it's not bad. The ability to perceive someone else's thoughts, feelings, and motivations. Okay, this is not a bad thing. Um, but let's go ahead and, and, and cause I think most of us get this right. Uh, but let's go ahead and take it down a notch to our working definition. 
uh, and see what it is, and then let's crack this open, why this might be a problem. So what's the working definition there? Being able to see things from somebody else's point of view. Okay, it's that walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. So, right, we talk about this all the time in life. I think we all acknowledge that this is a thing. You know, try to take their perspective was always the phrase that I would hear growing up. You know, look at it from somebody else's point of view, perspective taking. Here's the problem with perspective taking is that we learned many years ago, I would say probably 15 years ago, they did the Sally Ann test. Now this is mind opening for a lot of people because I remember when my son was diagnosed with autism, I was like, what is it? What actually is it? And then people give you that list of, well, it's these symptoms, but what is it? And I do think that that's why people came up with the puzzle piece, because it was like, what is the thing that is actually different? And I think there was this effort to try to figure out precisely what is it that's different than other things, right? And, and it was a bit of a mystery, like how is a person who is on the spectrum different than a person who is not on the spectrum? And, and people try to pigeonhole it and go, well, you know, these people can talk and these people can't. Well, that's not an effective definition, right? So there was constantly this question about what is it? And I was always asking that. I was like, how is my son's brain different from mine? Can somebody, like, map it for me, you know? And then I heard about the Sally Ann test, and I was like, oh, this is significant and this is interesting. And a lot of people did this. So let's talk briefly about the Sally Ann. So the Sally Ann test, and by the way, here's something fun. The Sally Ann test was done by um, Simon Baron Cohen's uh, group of people. And Simon Baron Cohen, a wonderful expert in the field of autism, man. Uh, and this is really his area talking about perspective taking and, 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 and all the things around this, right? And what's, what's interesting is that if you look him up, you're going to go, is this a joke? Am I looking at Sasha Baron Cohen pretending to be an autism expert? No, it's Simon Baron Cohen, who's his cousin, who looks a lot like him. So kind of interesting, right? Uh, <laughs> a little side note. Um, but so the Sally Ann test, basically what it is, is that they took three groups of kids, a group of kids who were identified as being neurotypical, a group of kids who were identified as having Down syndrome, and a group of kids who were on the autism spectrum. And they showed them some cards with some drawings on them and told them a story. And on the card, it showed two little girls, Sally and Ann. And I'm going to get this slightly wrong because I haven't done this in a long time and I don't remember which one is Sally and which one is Ann. But basically, one of them has a ball. Let's say that Sally has a ball. And uh, they, Ann is in the room with Sally and they say to Ann, hide the ball. And she takes and she hides the ball inside of a basket, right? Ann has hid the ball inside a basket. Sally saw her do it. Now, in the story, they ask Sally to leave the room. Now, Sally is not there. She cannot see what's happening in the room. And they say to Anne, now take the ball out of the basket and hide it behind that block over there. And so she does. And now they say to the children, if we go out into the hallway and ask Sally, where is the ball, what will Sally say? Well, here's the thing. If they are taking Sally's perspective and realize that Sally was not in the room when the ball was moved, 
they will say that Sally will say that the bat that the ball is inside the basket, right? If they do not understand that Sally's perspective is is different than Anne's is currently, she doesn't have the information. They will say that the ball is behind the block. And these were all children that were in a certain age range, and I think it was like six to eight. And at that time, there's this, you know, there's a whole Piaget object permanence thing, and there's a developmental uh, thing in child development where at an earlier age, none of the children would get this right, right? But at this age, the expectation is that the kids who are neurotypical will be able to take Sally's perspective and they will correctly say that the ball is in the basket. Well, that bore out in the research. The, the kids that were neurotypical could take Sally's perspective and they said that the ball would, according to Sally, that the ball would be in the basket. Great, this is what we expect, right? Um, they asked the kids on the spectrum, where is the ball? And they felt that it was likely that those kids would not be able to identify that the ball had, you know, Sally's perspective, and that they would say that the ball was behind the block. That bore out. That was what happened. Here's what was interesting, though. When they asked the kids who had Down syndrome, who they felt probably would also get it wrong, they didn't. The kids with Down syndrome also were able to take Sally's perspective and say the ball is in the basket according to Sally. So for the first time we were looking and going, okay, this is a very real difference between Down syndrome and autism. The kids with Down syndrome can take perspective and kids who are on the autism spectrum are gonna be ha having some area of difficulty with this. So this is an area that we need to identify and say, um, you know, what are we gonna do about that? And then a whole lot of people started saying, well, is, can it be taught? Can it be taught to someone to be able to take someone else's perspective? Well, guess what? That research is in, and yes, it is true. You can teach all kinds of people on the spectrum and off the spectrum perspective taking. They've been very successful. There are very specific lessons that teach an individual who's on the autism spectrum how to do that. Well, great. All, to me as a teacher, I'm like, hey, we identified an area that we need to teach and we've identified how to teach it and we've found that we're successful at it. Woo, let's throw a party. The problem is, is that people are so wanting to pigeonhole things that they started saying, all people on the spectrum are not capable of looking at things from anybody's point of view. Well, that's A, that's not true. And B, that's not helpful because it makes it sound like that that, that skill cannot be taught, right? But then it moved into, because if you can't take somebody else's perspective, you do not understand when they are in pain if you are not in pain. Sometimes, not all the time. But for some kids, that is the truth. They see someone in pain and they have a response that other people go, oh, that's socially inappropriate because they laugh, right? Because they are not in pain, so they don't understand that what that is is an expression of pain that's going on. So somebody decided to say that people on the spectrum don't have empathy, which is wrong. Empathy is different than perspective taking, right? It plays a role, but people on the spectrum have been found to have empathy. 
when they understand an emotion, when, but that's an emotion, they don't even have to take somebody's perspective. If they understand the portrayal of the emotion, they have empathy even without the perspective taking. Didn't that just make your mind blow? So it's very interesting to me that often now people go, well, perspective taking. Well, folks on the, on the spectrum have trouble with perspective taking, and that will go into they're incapable of doing it, which I take exception to. But here's the other thing. A lot of the time, I would say 90% of the time, when things aren't working, it's because people who are neurotypical are not attempting to take the perspective of the person who's on the spectrum. Right? Let's back that bus up again and talk about that for a second. I was saying before that I want to be a good ally. I want to be a, a good uh, accomplice to those on the autism spectrum. But I remember a, a day when this all came home to roost for me when we were living in a condo that was on a very busy street and you had to park on the street and, it, and you had to park on a certain side of the street and I would pick up my son and I would bring him home and getting out of the car and getting him out of the car was stressful because I did not want us to get hit by a car. And it was this thing where I needed him, like I, a car would pass and I would see I've got like 10 seconds to get him out of the car and to the sidewalk before the next car comes or we're going to come close to getting hit stress, right? And, and, and there was no time where you had more than 10 seconds because the cars would have, and we petitioned and got a speed bump and still people would lose their undercarriage because they would fly down the street. And I'm worried about my kid getting hit, right? And so I, we would, you know, we would work on it and stuff. And I would say, you know, you, you need, I need for you to get out of the car really quickly and and man I would be up his cheese about it and I would be like get your back and we would rehearse it all these things and and and, the, and I would give him the pep talk before we would go to do it and there was one day where I had this like set you know first you grab your backpack then you do this and then you open the door and then you jump out and then you go right to the sidewalk and there was one day that he said to me why do we have to do it that way and I said because I need you to do it that way. Now, in my head, it was like, because otherwise we're going to die. But my child, who was probably eight, maybe seven, said to me, like heard that rigidity in my voice and said, Mom, do you have autism? <laughs> and, and I realized two things. First of all, I was being rigid, and I was not taking his perspective. Boom. Who has the disability in this car? right? But also that my son had heard endlessly about how we're going to work on this because this is something that you can learn and that he knew because we talked always about autism and what it means and so on and so forth and that you have to work on some of these things. But he was like, oh, well, you need to work on that too. You must have autism. And I was like, ah, that's not the message that I want to be sending. But what I got the message was I need to be doing more perspective taking and I need to be looking at it from his point of view. And we all do. We all absolutely do. We need to be thinking, but wait a second, what is it like from their point of view? I love Dr. Grampiche for this because nobody does this better than she does that she thinks, okay, if I'm in their shoes, like how, you know, why, why is this the thing that I need? Because 
we're not saying, if somebody says, you know, this is the thing that I need, like I need to knock three times on this desk before I say anything, it's a need. Now let's look at why. Why do you need that? And is there a way we can fill it, fulfill it another way? But we're not saying, no, you don't need that. Get over it. We don't do that. That's not good perspective taking. I will say this too. One of the other things that Dr. Grampichet taught me is that all difficulties in the world, any argument, any war, uh, any difficult that anybody is happening almost exclusively arises from a lack of perspective taking. So if there is something going on in your life right now where you're mm, 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 with somebody that you, you care enough to fight it out with, it's usually a perspective taking thing. And that when we can stop and say, okay, this is what it's like from my side, and I'm gonna, I know what it's like from my side, and this is the problem that I'm having, let me think about it from their side. It often is this huge shift. I won't say that it necessarily solves everything, but it's a huge shift to go, oh, well, part of the issue is that from their perspective, it's this. But from my perspective, it's this. Um, solving the world's problems. But we cannot take the attitude that it is only individuals on the autism spectrum that struggle with perspective taking. We all do at some point. But if we all are willing to work on it, the world will be a better place. But it is not okay for those of us who are neurotypical to just say, well, they have a deficit with that. Therefore, no, that, I, don't, I don't subscribe to that at all. Okay, so, uh, and we're actually going to talk about this a little bit in this interview. So, uh, again, I want to say to you guys that we're... I'm sorry, can you say that again, Traven? Okay. Okay, so what we're going to do is we are going to um, go to this interview that we did with the um, co-founders of Lakefront Pictures. Uh, that would be Jennifer Goodman and Ryan Atkins. And they have a film that is out that's called The Unseen. We're going to show this interview to you. And then we're going to come back afterwards, and I'm going to ask that for any of you who have questions about what they're talking about or anything having to do with autism, we will have about 10, 12 minutes after the interview where we're going to be talking with you guys. So feel free. I would love it if you guys would send some questions in because we'll have an opportunity to talk. But I'm very excited um, that we did this interview a couple of days ago with Jennifer and Ryan. I think you'll find it very uplifting. So take a look at this uh, Lakefront Pictures. Welcome back to Autism Live. I am very excited because right now joining us from Chicago are the co-founders of Lakefront Pictures. We are talking today to Jennifer Goodman and Ryan Atkins. These are two uh, amazing, multi-talented professionals that have a new film coming out that we're gonna be talking about in just a minute. But let me tell, me tell you just a little bit about them. Let's start with Ryan. Ryan is a content creator, a director of photography, uh, DP as they say, uh, and a post-production specialist based out of Chicago. He's got more than 17 years working as a professional in this industry doing all kinds of things. I checked out your website, Ryan, and uh, you, you are a mover and shaker, getting all kinds of things done. Got a real point of view with a camera, and I, you, know, you don't have editing on here, but I, I see that you are a brilliant editor. So, uh, and has worked 
for so many different entities. If you are a business looking for any kind of production, uh, Ryan is a great person to talk to. He's worked for Northwestern University, the University of Chicago, Ashland University, uh, Sarpino's Pizzeria, not to be outdone, uh, the Chicago Fire Department, <laughs> Make-A-Wish, and many, many more creating anything um, for them that they need to have done. So uh, we're excited that he is here. I especially, I watched your narrative reel and it was very exciting, uh, Ryan. So excited to oh, have you know. here. Uh, and you, in 2018, Ryan co-founded Lakefront Pictures with the fabulous, talented Jennifer Goodman, who is sitting right next to him. And we're gonna talk a little bit about their their partnership in, in this, but, uh, Jennifer is a producer, writer, actress uh, who has lots of hyphenates in, in her description. And Jennifer identifies as being neurodiverse, which is very near and dear to all of us. Uh, and she also has spent 18 years in the industry doing all kinds of things, including uh, a pilot that she wrote called Conrad, wrote and I believe starred in, is that correct? Yes. Wonderful. Uh, all about, uh, this is a subject that's very near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, I believe it's a, about a lawyer who identifies as being on the autism spectrum, a woman, yes? It's a detective. A detective. Turns into a detective. Okay, yeah. a detective. I'm sorry. I thought lawyer, and I was really thinking uh, of all the shows now that that's everybody's That's the unseen. <laughs> okay, there we go. Uh, so, and together, uh, they've been, you worked on Conrad together and now you have a new film that's going to be coming out soon. I don't even want to say when, uh, called the unseen with a very familiar star in the film. Talk to us a little bit about the unseen and, and who there's a lot of people in it that people might recognize, but tell us a little bit about the star. Cause I think everybody will be Gaga over him. Yeah, we were too, and we still are. Um, his name is R.J. Mitty, the R.J. Mitty from Breaking Bad. Um, brilliant actor, comes with tons of experience, and he's really a great guy to work with all around. It's a lot of fun. Um, and for people who don't, like, may not know names, he played the son in Breaking Bad, uh, Walter White's son, um, and he identifies as an actor <laughs> who also has, uh, and, and re in real life, has uh, CP, cerebral palsy. Um, and, and I think this seeing Unseen was only the second time that I have seen him, because I'd only ever seen him in Breaking Bad and thought he was amazing in Breaking Bad and he is amazing in your film as well. Talented, talented young man. Um, and truly a force. And I'm so excited that somebody is giving him some time and some space to play this role. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But so Lakefront Pictures, you guys have a very specific mission. Tell us what that mission is, because I know our audience is going to be thrilled with it. Sure. So we, uh, our mission essentially is to elevate unheard voices and tell stories largely untold. Um, we like to, uh, a lot of our storytelling does tend to focus in uh, characters that have been marginalized in some kind of way. Um, it's not always 100% of our storytelling, but uh, many of our characters do have that. We find that to be uh, very interesting. And uh, it all started with the Conrad character, uh, Katie Conrad, which Jen played, and then The Unseen has 
um, R.G. Mace, who does have cerebral palsy in the story itself. And, you know, this film, I, I guess uh, the, we're calling it a supernatural horror thriller. Is, are those the right yes. words? That's exactly correct. <laughs> this is not necessarily my genre, I'm going to tell you, because I am like the person who is the most afraid of everything. Um, so I wasn't sure if I had the words right. But very interesting uh, film and how it un unveils. And so RJ plays a young law student, uh, and there's some, right off the bat, there is some creepy, creepy stuff happening in this film. But this is all directly from your mind, Jennifer. You do not look like someone who is focusing on very creepy stuff. What's that about? It's so funny that you say that. You know, um, I'm really drawn to crime dramas. Some of the shows that inspire me is like Homeland, Blacklist, Law and Order. I've always just been mesmerized by these heroic women, female characters. And, you know, I wrote Conrad and I had some crime in it and, you know, really loved sticking my teeth into getting things like that um, and having that female, you know, character. Um, once we finished making that, I had a conversation with Ryan and a couple other people and, you know, Ryan loves the genre. Ryan's really big into the conjuring and, you know, there's some really gritty movies that he's really into. And that was kind of a discussion that we had is not only what we can do next, but what really attracts audiences and horror and thriller is just that. So I had to transition my mindset and kind of open my ideas to what was interesting to my team. And so I built around that, but I still got some crime drama in mind. Okay. And well, there are elements of crime drama, you know, uh, in this film. So, you know, you weren't too far from your home. I'm, I'm really curious about, so here you are, um, you know, you guys are working professionals, trying to make things happen in the entertainment industry, which is hard enough for anybody. But you also identify as being neurodiverse, um, Jennifer, and uh, I'd love to know and talk a little bit about what challenges that might present as you keep, because it seems to me like you're killing it. Like you've already, you know, done a pilot for something in which you wrote and starred. Hello. Um, not too shabby, right? And now you guys have a feature film that a lot of exciting things are happening around. Like, it, how difficult has this been? And is, is there anything about being neurodiverse that's been especially difficult? And Ryan, is there anything you want to talk about, you know, what it's like working with Jennifer? Um, and if there are any things that you guys have had to negotiate, you know, to, to make things jive? Yeah, well, those are good questions. Um, for one, um, I will say that when I was putting Conrad together, there was a lot of, Jen, this isn't how it works, and me being very adamant about me wanting to do it the way that I was comfortable with. Um, and I had to quickly learn um, a lot about adapting and give more. It, you know, it's hard because as someone who is on the spectrum, I see things from my own perspective very well, but I have a very hard time seeing it from the other perspective. And it's challenging for many people because I am super bubbly, I have a personality, and I'm very committed to what I do. Like, you give me a task, I am bulldozing through. 
And that's just it. Some people don't really know how to adapt to a very server personality. And so I've had to learn to take a step back a lot. And I will say that it's, it's been very challenging, not been easy. Um, not because I don't want to, but because I don't know how. So like people will say things, we need you to not do A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. Um, and so that can be challenging for people, especially when you work in close, intimate quarters. But the support that I receive and the passion and, you know, drive is very similar to the team. So when the barriers are broken down and I'm able to really connect to what's being, you know, asked of me or said, I'd say that the world is our oyster and we've really been able to collaborate pretty magically. Um, I've built some long lasting friendships through the projects I've done and it's been nothing but illuminating for my life. And so my hope is it is for them too, but <laughs> well, um, I mean, what you're describing is being persistent, which in the entertainment industry is a plus, uh, you know, uh, so that kind of attitude of, you know, we're going to move forward is almost essential in the entertainment industry. But I'm sure it's hard sometimes. Ryan, do you ever um, have to, like, negotiate something with her where she's being persistent and you have to, like, do you have a code word? My mom does. <laughs> um, every hour of the day we are in it. Uh, no, the, I would say the biggest thing that, that for me that has helped in the overall collaborations has been one is just what autism is and then understanding the different levels of it and then what level she experiences. Because if you understand what someone's going through, you can kind of better, uh, work with them um, with that in mind. And so for me, uh, I, I've always kind of done things uh, the way that was kind of best fit for me or I learned when I was in school. Jen never went to school for it. She did. She did a form of it, which is uh, theater, which was the performing arts. But um, I would say that it just takes very clear communication, making sure that things. Uh, if you can't have things written down, to make sure that um, someone didn't you know misunderstand you know things of that nature. That really, who wouldn't that be helpful to on a production? Because a lot of things need to be written down. You don't have. It. ADs do not just, you know, they used to call people for availability, but um, that, so the, the that is a benefit that um, written down communication is definitely there. Um, negotiation, um, yeah, does, does she and I see things differently sometimes? Absolutely. But I would say the, the primary goal is always to, is usually always the same, is creating the be very best for the want the best for each other and so um, and for the team yeah, no, obviously absolutely um in fact sometimes we are doing so much work for the team that we don't end up doing it for ourselves and so um i would say that little mini negotiations nothing unlike what any other um like what you might have in a relationship but um uh i would say that her being on the autism spectrum is is a beautiful it's beautiful in that the idea that she brings is often not always something that you and I might think of initially. And 
She gets these ideas super quick when you and I might be you know, banging our heads against the wall. Um, this isn't working out what's going on. She just, she just kind of gets it. And so there's a lot of benefit, but there's definitely challenges to work with, it's like with anyone else. Yeah, but what I love hearing you say, Ryan, is that it, it is about perspective taking. And I mm -hmm. think that a lot of neurotypical people miss that part. They feel like other people need right. to fit themselves to them and miss the part about how about if I think of it from their point of view, what it's like for them. Right. And slowly and maybe we'll re-educate um, the neurotypical world um, to be able to do that. But you know, that's, it's wonderful that that's how you see it. And Jen, how amazing that you have a partner that anybody could have a partner that involves, that you know says, I'm gonna think of what it's like for them. That's a rare treat. Let's talk a little bit about this film, because you guys had a big announcement that came out at the beginning of February. Tell everybody what you got cooking with this film. Yeah, no, lots of exciting things. So to go along with that persistence that you mentioned, Ryan and I were in the middle of post, working with our post team, and putting urgency on it. I kept putting deadlines and him and our director Vince kept saying, these things need to take, these things take longer. And I was like, oh, no, but we got to get to the AFM and we got to do this. And we got to get distribution. And they were like, whoa. And with the amazing team that I had, very incredible talent, might I add, <laughs> we did go to the AFM and we had built opportunities with, many distributors, but the American film market is what the AFM is, and that is kind of like speed dating for film. So you bring your film and any kind of marketing, and you are pitching it to many different companies, and Universal, Fair, um, Magnolia Pictures, a lot of those big companies, and international ones. So while we were there, we got to know The Coven, which are fabulous people. You may know them as the ones who sold Terrifier 2 and did very well in the market. They were very interested in RJ and our trailer, The Unseen. And so we announced February 1st that there was an acquisition and they were taking us to the um, EFM, which is the European film market. And they were going to promote our film. And so now we have a distribution, um, or excuse me, an international sales agent with The Coven. And that was a very big announcement for us. That's so we're really moment. excited how in less than a year we've already gotten that relationship going. So exciting. And of course, we, we hope that sometime in the future you'll be able to announce when uh, people will be able to see the film. Uh, I can say we yeah. are having an announcement very soon with that. All right. So, um, and we will keep people posted. You will let us know and we will keep people posted. So I want to know, so, you, so you're there, you guys have this idea and you start writing the script. At what point does RJ become a part of this collaboration? RJ was pretty much in the beginning, actually. Um, it was funny because when I was writing the script and talking about the main character, you know, one of my commentaries and one of the things I kept emphasizing is the importance of this inadequacy to a, to a father figure or to a mother figure. Um, <clears throat> and 
when we were discussing with some directors that we were interviewing with and conversations that we had, things pointed to RJ. And so we actually reached out to him in 2021 about the movie. Um, garnered his interest. He read the script. He loved it. He was like, this is going to be awesome. And he was just super passionate. Um, we worked with his agent and his management team. And then once the capital was raised, or at least the big majority of it, we went back to his team with an offer and he was accepted and he became part of the family. So, well, and I can totally see why he was jazzed to do it. I think um, mm-hmm. it's it's really brilliant in that it sets him up as a leading man, um, like maybe nothing else could have. And and I, for one, really appreciate it. And obviously, we don't want to give too much away. Um, but I I appreciate the fact that you know you're you're talking about this thing about how he feels inadequate to his dad. But I felt like um, it, it really could have been played by a lot of different actors um, who maybe didn't have already this physical thing that they were dealing with. It was, it was really secondary. And you didn't beat us over the head with it. And I super appreciated that. I thought, here, here is an actor who is telling the story about this individual. And I didn't feel like a, that it was a story about a disabled person in any way, shape, or form. And I really appreciated that. Um, I, I was like, this is exciting. This is what the entertainment industry needs to see more of. That it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that this is, you know, he's, he's the only person in the world could play it because, you know, it's locked into that this is what his diagnosis is or what right. his disability right. is. I didn't feel that at all. Um, and, I, and I thought that that was really remarkable and I appreciated that. So in the meantime, for people who want to kind of follow the trajectory of this film so that they can keep an eye on when you have your next big uh, announcement, where would they go to follow your journeys and Lakefront Pictures and the movie The Unseen? Sure. Well, the easiest platforms and, and the most accessible would be our social media. So The Unseen and Lakefront Pictures is primarily on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we do have different handles for those. It's primarily the unseen film for the most part. Uh, Lakefront Pictures is also a great place to go. It is Lakefront Pictures across the board, just with the at sign. Um, it is Lakefront Pics on Twitter, but it was a little bit long for that platform. But those two places are where people can find out about all the information that's happening with the project. So. Okay. And is there any place that they can go to see the pilot of Conrad? We are working on that. Um, right now, we have a trailer. If you go to conradseries.com, you can see our trailer. You can see its own private website with all the information. Harry Lennox, Eric Roberts, who are marvelous and also in it. Um, but we will have that news hopefully very soon as well. Um, it was hard during uh, 2020 to sell that show because of, um, you know, COVID and things that were going on back then. So we're going to be reworking it and getting it out there. Well, good for you. Uh, for, good for both of you. I, I think, Jennifer, you know, you're like the, the next Lena Dunham, uh, right? You're just like making, making stuff happen. And I think when you have that attitude of, well, I'm not going to wait, I'm going to forge ahead, I think that's nothing but a plus. So congratulations to both of you. We'll keep everybody posted. If you'll keep us posted when you have your next big 
announcement. How's that? Sounds 100%. like a plan. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending the time to be with us and keep on, keep on keeping on. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. You have a wonderful day. You too. you too. Thank you for having us. We're going to be right back with more Autism Live after these messages. Stick with us. There? Yes. Uh, so you just saw a perfect example of why perspective taking can really have an effect on everybody's day and how you're working together and if you have people that you want to work with on a, on a regular basis. So and I, we asked if anybody had any questions. Nobody has sent any questions. It's not too late. You could still send in a question. But I thought what might be fun is to talk about if we know that we can teach perspective taking, how do we do it? How do we actually go about building this skill in any of us? But especially for young individuals on the autism spectrum to help them to be able to learn about, so when Sally puts the basket, so one of the, uh, puts the ball in the basket and you know, what does that mean? So one of the things um, along the way, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the example of how my son was taught. And if you guys are really super interested in that and wanna know more about that, I will say that the curriculum that was used to teach my son is available in that book that I always have sitting on the desk and I didn't get it during while we were gone. But um, there, there is a fabulous book. If you just Google, if you, if you go book and do Dr. Doreen Grampichet, you'll find it. It's written by Dr. Grampichet and a load of other people that I really respect. Dr. Jonathan, jo I can't speak today. Dr. Jonathan Tarbox, uh, Dr. Adele Nadowski, and Julie Kornack are the people whose names are on that book. And it's called, what is it called? Effective Teaching Strategies, the Card Model. Um, I think that's what it's called uh, for children on the autism spectrum. It's a long name and even I can't remember it. But it lists all the curriculum. It's not easy reading. It's not light reading. But you can flip around in the book and go, okay, what I want to teach is this. And they go through, you know, different things. There are whole parts of the book that maybe won't apply to you or what you're doing um, because it's a big book. But you could look up perspective taking. But let me walk you through some of the things that they did with my son. Because along the way, and I'm a former teacher, so all of this excites me. The idea of, okay, how do you teach anything to anybody? And there's a place that you start and then you build, like, and, and we, we consider that like the platform upon which you're going to build everything. And then, you know, you put building blocks on top of it. And if you see something shaky, you go back and shore up the foundation, right? That's how you teach anybody anything. But also, one of the things that I realized teaching in the 90s and in the aughts was that children and teens and adults, because I taught college too, would come into the space that was my classroom as individuals. And that th they had different bases of knowledge. But you still have to teach to that individual. And sometimes we have in the education world what we call Swiss cheese, that somebody comes in and there are holes in their knowledge. So maybe they're in third grade and they're supposed to begin to know the multiplication tables. But you know, the truth of the matter is, you can't really learn the multiplication tables if you don't know how to add. And at third grade, if they're on standards and they've been passed, they should know how to add. But that isn't always the case. 
So what do you do as a teacher? And this is how I look at teachers and go, is this a good teacher or not? Because a good teacher recognizes this student doesn't know how to add. And I know it's my responsibility to teach them multiplication tables, but now I have to teach them how to add first before I can teach them multiplication. A bad teacher says, I'm just going to keep throwing multiplication stuff at you and go, you're not getting it. And the problem is with you. That's not how we teach, right? So for our individuals who are on the autism spectrum, where they're not automatically picking up the cues for perspective taking, we want to shore that up for them. So where do we start? Where's the toehold? What, what is the beginning lesson, that basis? Mm, mm, mm. And what that is, is understanding states and uh, the senses for ourself first. So we're going to language the senses for an individual and help them to understand those senses as they relate to themselves, because that's going to be our building block, right? So, um, and then we're going to we're going to go from emotions to states. Um, so, uh, excuse me, not emotions, senses. So we're going to go senses, and then we're going to go states. And then we are going to go, oh, look at you giving that to me. Evidence-based treatment for children with autism, the card model. There it is. He's got it up on the screen for me. That was really cool, Traven, how you did that. Um, so we want to we start with the senses, because they're pretty concrete, right? And then we are going to move to states, which are less, and I don't mean like Illinois and Alaska. I mean like my state of being. I'm cold. I'm tired. That's a little fuzzier, but if I've started with the senses, I can move to states, um, and then I can move on to emotions, right? So, you know, we're, so what are the five senses? Seeing, hearing, touch. Um, uh, what, what, what am I? What am I leaving out? Uh, taste. There's another one. My gosh, it's like I just smell. Thank you very. Okay, so smell, I'm just writing them down so I don't have to remember them again. Sight, sound, touch, and what did I forget again? Sight, smell, touch, like I can't, I, I, I swear I've had a brain fart. Uh, what? Hearing, hearing, okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I can't even read my writing. Uh, touch, no. I have smell, sight, touch, twice, hearing. What am I, wh why am I having such a hard time right now? Smell, sight, touch, hearing. Let's start with those and, and I'll figure it out. It'll come to me in a second. I swear my brain just went zip, zip, zip. Okay, because I got too many things going on at once. But let's start with smell. So a, a child will smell, but they don't know how to language that, right? So we're going to go and we're going to find some really fragrant, fragrant things. Like it might be that you go to a floral shop and you get a rose and you go, this is a rose. I'm going to smell it. What does it smell like? Oh, that smells like a rose. And I'm going to language that for the child, but I'm, I'm, and I'm going to, you know, model all of that and have them smell. And I'm going to ask them questions. What are you smelling? What do you smell? But I'm going to have something else there as well. Now, what we did with my son was that they prepped me for this ahead of time before we were going to work on the lesson. And they said, we need to have like five or six things that have a pretty 
not, not unpleasant, but pretty distinct smells that are very, very different. So one of the things, as I recall, we had lemon and then we had coffee grounds. And I can't think of what all else we had, but we had little Dixie cups that had saran wrap on the top of them. And they asked me to have that ready before we were going to do this lesson. And then the, the behavior technician and I sat there at the table with my son and we were like, ooh, let's see what's inside. And then we just smelled. And we had the saran wrap, um, but we also tried to cover it so that he couldn't see it. And we go, what do you smell? Oh, it smells good. It smells, and then we would take it off and go, it's a lemon, but let's smell it, right? So now we've smelled it and we've identified that it's a good smell. And then we go, okay, let's move on to the next one. And we peek it off and it's a game, right? What do you smell? Oh, that's totally different, right? Um, and it's coffee. And then we would show him it's coffee and, you know, show him that it goes in the cup and that, you know, it's what dad drinks because mom doesn't drink coffee, right? So we would go through all those different things so that he could smell it. And we would build that into his repertoire of, and, and on a daily basis, we would talk about what do you smell? And then we would, so we would start with things that were pleasant smells that were part of his environment, things that he already knows, but then gradually we would add in things that aren't pleasant. You know, uh, that we'd be in the bathroom, we'd be like, oof, that, that, you know, that smells, right? That has a smell to it. Uh, let's flush it, let's get rid of it, right? Or, you know, anytime that I would pull anything out of the refrigerator, it was like we were on this sensory experience. And this was across weeks, right? We would go for a walk and we would, you know, smell the, the leaf. And does it have a smell? Maybe it doesn't. We'd be in the grocery store and I would pick a little piece of cilantro and, and go smell that. And then we'd pick basil. Oh, it has a different smell. So we're heightening his awareness of I'm smelling. I, you know, I'm a person and I'm smelling something and I'm... And I'm letting him try, and I'm trying it, and, and I, my face tells the story of whether I like it or I don't like it, which also is going to add for later on, for him to be able to tell that he might like it, but I might not. So we're building all of this stuff with smell. And then eventually we go back to the Dixie Cups, and, you know, we, he has the lemon one, and the, and the behavior technician is sitting there, and, he, and he's like, you open it up, what do you smell? And he can, we've already played this game before many times, right? So he can smell and he can smell the lemon one. And he goes, hmm, lemon, I smell lemon, whether he signs it or points to it or whatever. Maybe there's five different things there on the table and he can point, I'm smelling the lemon one. It's a quiz game, right? But then they give one, a different one to me and I go, ugh, right? And then they say, what is mom smelling? Now he can't smell what I'm smelling in the little cup. And we're building that thread of the idea of, I'm not smelling it, but I know from my experience that when you hold the cup up, you smell something. I can't smell what it is, but I just looked at mom's face and I know that she doesn't like the smell of coffee. So I'm going to guess that it's the coffee one. Now I have built a base where he begins to understand that what I'm experiencing isn't necessarily what he's experiencing and I can build on this. So great. Now I can move on to sight. And what they did for sight was that we had to go to the store and get one of those trifold uh, boards that you use for presentations that they sell them at Walmart and Target, right? 
and it's a foam board, but it kind of opens up and it's it, you, so that you could prop it up on a table to do your science fair thing, right? Maybe cost you six bucks. And we play barrier games. So they would sit there with him and I would be on the other side of the barrier and, and the, the behavior technician would be with my son and they would take one of his favorite toys Maybe it's Buzz Lightyear, and Buzz Lightyear would be sitting there, and they would say, what do you see? What can you see? What is it? And he would say, Buzz Lightyear, right? And they would go, okay, what can mom see on the other side of the barrier? And he would say, Buzz Lightyear. Um, and they would say, really? Can mom see Buzz Lightyear? Go around. Go sit on mom's lap and tell me what she can see. So he would come around the table, and he would sit on my lap, and he would, and they would say, what can you see? And he would say, nothing, right? And, and then they would have him come back over on the other side and they would say, what can you see? And he would say, Buzz Lightyear. And then they would say, what can mom see? Now, we had to do this like 10, 12 times and he would say, Buzz Lightyear. And they would go, really? Go check. Can mom see Buzz Lightyear? And eventually in his head, he would go, oh, she can't see it because this thing is in her way. And they would ask him, why can't she see it? And he would point to the thing. And he would say, she can't see through it. Right. But this creates another little neuron that goes to the thing and hooks up and goes, oh, if I see that this is sitting in front of, then I know that the other person can't see what's there. And that begins to light up the little synapses. And he goes, oh, OK. And we play this game wherever we are about what can you, and there's all kinds of games online that you can play that do this, but you know, everywhere we would go, we would, you know, he'd be in the back seat of the car and I would say, what can you see? And he would tell me the things that he would see and I would say, and dad would be in the, like, you know, maybe dad would be driving and I'd be in the passenger seat and I would say to him, what can you see? And we'd have put one of his toys down in the seat well and he would say, I can see my truck. And I would say, oh, can dad see the truck? And he would say, no, dad can't see the truck. And I would say, why? And he would say, because the seat is in the way. Dad can't see it. Wonderful. So now we've laid this groundwork, and I do it with all the, the senses. You know, what, you know, you're sitting here and you're touching this and I'm touching this, or, or they would do a thing where I would be um, in the other room with headphones on, and they would say, they would play music in the other room and they would say, can mom hear it? No. Why? Because mom's in the other room and it's too far away and she's wearing headphones, right? And you just strengthen this and strengthen this and strengthen this. Okay, so we work on this with the senses that I can't possibly seem to remember all five of them. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, then we move on to states and we start talking about, are you cold? Are you hungry? Are you tired? but we start talking about it in relation to somebody else. And usually we start with the parent or the technician that's there and working with them. Um, and maybe mom, you know, I'm sitting there and I've got a parka on and I'm all nice and toasty, uh, but you know, my son is sitting there and he doesn't have a jacket on. And they, and they say, are you cold? And he says, 
And in the beginning, he was like, no, you know, but they, they would, you know, then they would turn around and have me do it. And I would sit there and I'd be like, oh, you know, and you exaggerate it and you shiver and shiver and shiver and go, oh, and they would say, you know, what's going on with mom? Is she cold? And, and of course, in the beginning, he didn't think so, but I would say, I'm cold. I'm really, really cold. I need a jacket. And then I would put the jacket on and I would go, oh, now I'm warm. Now I'm warm, right? So you language, 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 show example, have him try to do it with himself, but show another example and show that two people can be sitting in the same space and somebody can be cold and somebody can be warm because their experience of it is different, right? Once you get the states and first they have to understand their own states, which is a great lesson for them anyway, that my state is something that I have the potential to change that I can be tired, well, what would I problem solve to do if I'm tired? I can lay down, right? Or I can ask for a break. Very important stuff. But then to realize maybe mom is tired. Maybe mom needs to ask for a break, right? Painstaking, but you have to make it fun to go through all these different things. But then you go on to emotions and say, you know, I'm feeling sad right now. And part of this is, is that we're teaching them that, states are fluid and emotions are fluid that I could be sad right now, but I can be happy five minutes from now, depending on what happens outside. And that when you see that face on someone that they are not happy and that you have the potential to affect change on that if you choose to. Like, you know, we would stand in line at the grocery store and uh, I, w I always try to see how fast I can make a baby that I don't know laugh. So my son and I would play the game that the baby would be bored or whatever, sitting in the cart with their parents. And I would say, let's see how long it takes mom to get them to laugh. And I would make silly faces and we would see what that, what would make that baby laugh. Right. But one of the things that my son learned from that is if he saw that I was upset, that he, that he could say to me, mom, I see that you're upset. How can I help? right? This empathy thing, it doesn't exist. But, but we would go through lengthy lessons, just like Temple Grandin mom did, where we would show him pictures of ourselves with different emotions on our face and say, what are they feeling? What is this person feeling? And then we would go to magazine pictures. Or you know what we did? We did this with American Idol. We played this game with American Idol, like in the very early seasons of it. This is how he got to know who James Durbin was. Um, that we would watch American Idol and the person would sing and then we would turn the volume off. And then we would watch the judges talk to the contestant and say, what do we think the judge liked it? What is the face of the, like, you know, did Paula, because that was back in the day, Paula, did Paula like it? How do we know? Because Paula is going, right? And it seems like she liked it. But we would also look at the face of the, const the contestant. Do they feel like they did well? Are they sad? What are they feeling? And that helped to strengthen so that when later on we would get onto more nuances, but that's how you lay the groundwork. I didn't realize we've gone over. Okay, we're out of time, but I hope this was um, fun and, and, um, and um, just seeing the message I'm getting, fun and, and helped you to realize all the things that you can teach and all the fun ways that you can teach it, having games to help folks. Okay, we got to go, uh, but we are going to be back tomorrow with Stories from the Spectrum. And don't forget 
that on Friday, this is a date change, so really important that you guys remember Friday is going to be our big Oscar show. So don't forget to tune in for that. Moira Giamatteo and I are going to go through the big categories and talk a little bit about, and we're not going to agree. I'm just going to tell you that right now because there's things that she likes that I don't like and vice versa. So, but a lot of things we do agree about too. So, uh, but it's super fun. I like it when we disagree because that's perspective taking too. Moira likes, you know, murder mystery and, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't, I don't like that. Uh, it's not my thing. And when we teach people, oh, well, you like this, you like the color black and you like the color green and that's okay, we change the world. We change the world when we do that. Um, and that's not just a lesson for people on the spectrum, that's a lesson for all of us, that it's okay to have differences. It's not just okay, it's great. It's great, it's perfect, it's wonderful. Be different, that's the key. Okay, we will be back tomorrow with stories from the spectrum. Uh, we'll see you then. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.